With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome into another edition of Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Sanfilippo, at AntSanPhilly on Twitter, joined, as always, by Crossing Broad Phillies writer Bob Wankel at BW Crossing Broad. And we're, we're mixing it up on you yet again. I mean, last week we waited an extra day uh, to record the podcast so we can get the trade deadline in. This week we're coming to you a day earlier than we usually come to you. Uh, we're recording on Sunday night, uh, and we just got so excited because the Phillies just had a four-game sweep of the, of the Miami Marlins. And so we said, no, let's not wait till tomorrow. Let's get it done tonight. Uh, in all honesty, Bob's going on vacation, so we needed to record a day early. But the fact of the matter is uh, is that it's a, it's a good time with the Phillies right now. They, they did what they had to do. We talked about it last week and said, hey, uh, Miami Marlins coming in, not a good team, Bob. We said, hey, uh, got to win at least three. It would be great to get a sweep, but hey, we'll get at least three. And they went out and they got all four. And, and th- three of them were close. You know, uh, Only the one uh, Saturday night was a blowout. But, uh, you know, Thursday, Friday, and uh, today's uh, S- Sunday's game were all close. Um, and they could have gone the other way. But the Phillies, as they've done many, many times this year, have scratched and clawed and found a way to win. Yeah, uh, it, I mean, it's just the perfect situation here. Five-game win streak. Uh, I'm going to Maine. It's a, it's a great opportunity for us to be positive this evening. Uh, I feel like we went for, what, an hour and 50 minutes in our last podcast, and uh, a couple of my friends and some of the people on Twitter that reached out and they said, Jesus Christ. Christ, guys, these guys have been in first place for three weeks, and you're just destroying them. So this is a nice setup. There's a lot to talk about. Most of it's good. Uh, Phillies finally did what they needed to do against a really bad Miami Marlins team this weekend, and it was a big weekend down at the ballpark, a lot going on. And it's really great to see what they were able to do. 15 games over 500. they They're now over 500 against the National League East. For the first time, uh, for much of this season, uh, starting pitching was excellent again, and, and this team is playing really well at home right now. 38-18 and 18 at home this season, and they have now uh, been in first place for one month. Uh, they, they moved into first place, partial share of it, back on July 6th, and you will listen to this on August 6th, and the Phillies will have been in first place for one month. So I feel good. I think you're feeling a lot better about things. But uh, now this thing's going to really, really rev up, and we'll get to that in uh, a little bit. So my, my biggest takeaway, and I don't really need to talk about the Phillies' win today, uh, a nice 5-3 win. Aaron Nola wasn't particularly sharp, but still had a decent game, uh, six innings pitched. He only allowed two earned runs. Uh, not a bad job there overall. But uh, when I look at the main takeaway of what we've seen over the last week, it all comes back to the starting pitching, um, and they've been outstanding. Over this five-game win streak, starting pitchers have gone 33 and a third innings pitched, eight earned runs, 2-1-6 ERA. Uh, they've been out of this world. We've talked about how they've carried this team all season long, and it was much the same this week. Yeah, no, it, it, it's it's good. I mean, it, the, the offense was great this week. Um, a lot of home runs against the Marlins. I mean, a lot of home runs. Uh, it seems a, a majority of their offense is coming from the long ball of these days. 
Um, but again, it is the Marlins. So let's let's take it for what it is. Let's let's sit here, Bob, and say this was a, this was a good sweep, winning four games straight against the Marlins and, and winning five in a row heading into this uh, what will be a tough series against the Diamondbacks uh, starting Monday. Uh, it was good. They did the right thing. They they did what they had to do. Um, I I didn't think that there was any kind of you know, questionable managerial decisions or goofy lineups. Um, even though uh, they moved Oduble down to the sixth spot, um, I think that he's been struggling, and so it's probably he just worth... has not gotten on base now. Yeah, you know, it's, since it's, really it's, going back to the end of May, he's, yeah. he's really struggling. It's not. It doesn't. I mean, I don't think Nick Williams is a prototypical three hitter either. But I, you know, I I get it. I understand it. It makes sense. Um, so there wasn't any of that. And they did what they had to do. But let's not let's pump the brakes just a little bit and remember. That it was it was the Miami Marlins. Yeah, I mean to that end, the Marlins entered today with a four eight two ERA, uh, which was dead last in the National League. So for the Phillies to put up twenty three runs over four games, that's that's what they needed to do against this team, and and that is the sign of a good team, especially when you look at what this what this Phillies team has done and what this offense has done against mediocre starting pitching all season long. They've struggled quite often, way too frequently, uh, against bad to average starting pitching, and you look at how this team has performed against the Mets, against the. Marlins, um, teams that they should be taking advantage of. It has been a struggle at times, so it was really nice to see this group kind of get it done this weekend, build some momentum going into an important week. And one of the things that we talked about last week, if we just kind of take stock of the National League East at this point, the Nationals, which is the team that I kind of fear, had a very strong week. They, they went from a game or two under 500 to now uh, three games over. They got hot. Uh, I suspected that they would. Uh, but they really didn't gain any ground on the Phillies. They're still six games back, entering a huge, I think, a do-or-die series at home this week against the Braves. I, I think that that's a series in which they have to win two out of three or, or potentially sweep to really get themselves back into this thing. And, I mean, for the Phillies to do what they did, it was very, very stabilizing, especially after the weekend they had in Cincinnati uh, a week ago and then, and then the, the Monday night game in which they wasted Aaron Nola's start against the Red Sox. So for everything to kind of happen the way that it did, a great job by this team to get some traction and, and really stave off a Nationals team that I thought uh, played better baseball this week and Bryce Harper starting to heat up. And, and you may think that that's crazy at this point with 50 games left in the, in the regular season, but I think we really have to, in addition, look at the Phillies. We have to start looking at the competition now. We have to look at what the Braves are doing on a nightly basis. We have to look at what the Washington Nationals are doing on a nightly basis. It matters now. You know, it does. It absolutely does matter, although I will say this. It's very hard to overcome and it's been done but it's very hard to overcome a six game deficit with 50 games to play That's against all. a team that has not gone into prolonged especially right. against a team that has not gone into prolonged slumps like the Phillies I think yeah. that the, the four game losing streak that they had uh, last weekend is tied for their, their season long if I'm not mistaken I don't believe they lost five consecutive games this year right. so uh, with the Phillies being somewhat consistent in terms of, of preventing prolonged slumps and prolonged losing streaks, it, it will be hard for them to do that. But with all the head-to-head matchups there, and again, all that talent, it, it does scare me a little yeah. bit. So I was very encouraged that the Phillies were able to kind of maintain that distance. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and the, the, you should be encouraged. But um, and the one thing, the one reason why I was still more leery about Atlanta 
is you know Atlanta uh, same number of losses as the Phillies and they're a game and a half back the same number of losses they have three games in hand and there's seven big games left against the Phillies at the end of the season so like like to me like that's the they concern me more than the Nationals do even though the Nationals had a good week that's what I'm like you pointed out I mean the Nationals they've what won seven of ten they won five out of the last six or whatever the case might be and didn't pick up any ground as a matter of fact lost ground they actually right. lost a half a game. Um, in the process, because the Phillies were able to do what they had to do against the Marlins, so like I think it's going to be hard for the Nationals, even if they do get hot. I mean, they have to really get hot to make up a six-game difference on the Phillies. Yeah, they have time games against them still left uh, on the on the on the schedule on the calendar, but I don't. See, I just don't see it. I don't think. I mean, can they get themselves maybe back in the wild card conversation? Sure, especially with what's going on out west. Like I, I can't believe how the Dodgers have kind of. <laughs> falling off. I mean, I really thought that the Dodgers played some great baseball for the better part of two and a half months, and now all of a sudden they're uh, they're you know caught, they've been caught. The Diamondbacks have tied them in the standings. So, um, so yeah, I mean it's it, it's going to be tough for the Nationals to get to catch catch the Phillies. I I just still worry about Atlanta a little bit. So um, we'll see. I mean, this Braves National Series coming up this week is is going to be huge. Um, as you mentioned, and it's going to be huge not just for the Nationals, but for the Braves as well. I mean, the Phillies have a, a real opportunity here to to get some separation if if uh, they can stay you know stay on the winning track and and maybe you know the Braves and Nationals take a couple game you know game from each other and then you know whatever happens in the third game. But um, yeah, no, this is this is a this is a the Phillies are in a plum spot. They they, they couldn't you know you couldn't want to be anywhere else at this point. Well, if they're going to keep their momentum going, uh, they will have their work cut out for them. They're going out to Arizona uh, starting tonight, if you're listening to this on Monday morning, and they will take on a first-place Arizona Diamondbacks team who has been better offensively um, really over the last month and a half, two months. They, they got off to a very slow start uh, on offense. Paul Goldschmidt, one of, the, one of the best hitters in the NL, really struggled at the start of the season. He's turned it on. His OPS is back up over 900 now. Uh, and the Phillies will get both Patrick Corbin, who I I believe is striking out more than 11 batters per nine innings. And then Zach Granke, who's been one of the best pitchers in baseball for the last decade. Uh, So this is no uh, small task that they have in front of them. When I look at this team's ability in the long run to win the National League East, and and maybe I feel a little bit better than I did about it a week ago. I I had said on this show that I don't expect them to win the NL East. And uh, I I don't know if – I hope I'm wrong. I, I certainly see several paths Uh, that they could take in which they do it, but it's going to come down to uh, a two-pronged attack to this thing. And and number one, you're going to need that starting pitching that, again, was so good this past week and has been for much of the season. But in addition to that, you're going to need more offense. And and there I guess you could say there were encouraging signs of that this week against a bad Marlins team. But one of the things that I think is interesting, numbers aside, is that all of a sudden when I I look at this lineup, I see – less holes in it. I I see more thump. I see more potential for pop. And I don't think that this is a team that's going to be able to string together multiple hits night in, night out to win baseball games. But they certainly do have the ability now to to hit you for big innings. And that has been their their plan. Gabe Kapler's formula on offense for a lot of the season is to have that big inning. But 
you start to see it now, and you look at Esdrubal Cabrera, who who won the game today with a two-run homer in the eighth, uh, hit a home run again on Saturday, so he's starting to possibly heat up here a little bit. It, it, that's a big difference. It's it's a long way that you're you're coming from Scott Kingery, who, and again, not to pick on the kid, but has been one of the worst hitters in the National League all year. So I, I look at this and I, I start to think to myself. Is this is this lineup a little bit deeper? Is it a little bit more dangerous than we're giving it credit for? And I, I guess, what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I mean, it can. It, is it an improved lineup offensively with Cabrera in the lineup? Yes, he's a better hitter than Kingery. So there's that. Um, and yeah, I mean, the guy now got 20 home runs this year. So I mean, he, you know. It's not outside the realm of possibility that he finishes with 30 home runs, and so he's a nice bat for the middle of the order. That said, it's a it's a it's a real. I mean, the Phillies have gone all in with this. I mean, they, you know, this was their strategy prior to making the trades for for uh, Cabrera and Wilson Ramos, and now they're really all in with it in the sense that they're going to just go with a lineup that has a lot more homer chances and just hope you know, hope that they connect, uh, somebody connects every game in order to give you enough, uh, you know, if the starting pitching does its job and then, you know, get a home run or two each night, then we're in good shape. And I think that that's kind of what they're, the Phillies are hoping for um, with their uh, lineup construction because it, it's, they, they don't, we, you know, we've said this over and over again, we don't want to sound like a broken record, but they don't hit the way you expect a team to hit. And because of that, they have to rely on these big innings. And so now you have more guys in the lineup who can provide you the pop to get a big inning if you happen to get a guy on base or two guys on base, mostly by walking. I mean, Philly's only had six hits again today um, they, you know, on Sunday. They did better on Saturday. But, you know, they, they put up all these runs, but they don't necessarily have a lot yeah, of hits. Six walks today. Five hits. Right. Uh, Five hits uh, and six walks. Actually, yeah, I'm I mean, sorry, six hits, six walks. Six, yeah, six hits, six walks. I mean, so that's the. I mean, that's the difference, right? I mean, so they're just getting on. They're getting on base uh, sometimes with the walk, sometimes with a with a hit. But you know, the big hit was the home run by Cabrera. Well, it's interesting when you look at the lineup and you go down it player by player and just evaluate what you've seen this year. I mean, Cesar Hernandez, who we talked a little bit about last week, it, the OPS is down this season. Uh, he's not hitting for the same average that he did the the past two seasons, but he's still on base. 370. You know, that's that's still very solid on base percentage out of a leadoff guy. Reese Hoskins, arguably one of the most dangerous hitters in the entire league right now. Nick Williams has really done a nice job in right field, uh, especially after a little bit of a slow start in April. OPS is up to 792. He was one for three today. Uh, again, the, the plate discipline's better. He's drawing more walks. He, he's become a, a very solid everyday major league offensive player. Carlos Santana, who we've spent a lot of time talking about, we understand his flaws at this point, but again, does get on base. The average is creeping up there now to 220. I know that everyone's real excited about that. Cabrera has some pop. Herrera has struggled, I think, for, for really much of the last two and a half months, but there's still a ton of potential there. Franco, we've talked about his renaissance. Now, Farrow is dangerous time to time. There's no... There's no total hole in that lineup. There's nobody that you say, this guy's a, a terrible offensive player. Everybody in this lineup does have some value. And it's interesting because now if you add Wilson Ramos to that, he is a potential, if he 
returns to his form pre-injury, and, and he continues to, to hit at the pace that he did at the beginning of the season, he's a legitimate middle-of-the-order bat. I mean, you're talking about a guy that you could hit fourth, fifth, or sixth in this lineup. Um, and so when you look at it that way, you start to say, Dan, this lineup, if you look at the individual parts, is pretty strong yet it still feels a little bit out of whack, a little bit disjointed. They're just not quite as good uh, as a whole as you would expect them to be when you analyze the individual parts of it. And, and I, I wonder if, if they're starting to catch their stride. Perhaps they are uh, – perhaps they've just underachieved. I mean, is that possible? Is there a higher ceiling to this lineup than what we're giving it credit for? Yeah. I mean, there's certainly a higher ceiling. I mean, we've seen – We've seen more out of Cesar Hernandez than he's currently giving us. He, we've seen more out of Carlos Santana than he's currently giving you. Uh, we've seen more out of Odubel Herrera than he's currently giving you. So, I mean, there's three players right there who, if they if they deliver like you anticipate they should, well, then damn, you have a good lineup, right? I mean, Hoskins is, is fine. I mean, he's doing he's doing his thing, and like you mentioned, Nick Williams is probably you know ahead of schedule, ahead of where we kind of thought he would be at this point. Um. So there, so that's good, and Michael Franco's uh, way ahead of where we thought he would be. Um, you know, you mentioned as Drupal, and, and look, he's he's you know hot the last couple games, but the first week he was with the Phillies, he was three for twenty-five before that home run on Saturday night. Okay, he's prone to being streaky. I mean, in his his whole career, he's an up and down kind of guy. He either gets rolling and he's doing a lot of good. Or he goes through a lot of uh, a lot of lulls. Yeah, um, if you look at his month by month splits uh, this season, uh, he was very very good in April. Um, he had posted a 9.75 OPS in April. It went down to 7.76 in May, uh, 6.24 in June, and then July, big month of July. And I'm sure the Mets appreciated that <laughs> uh, right up leading up to right. the trade deadline. 9.31 OPS. So month to month, he's he's kind of been hot and cold, and that kind of does prove your point. In addition to what he's done throughout really much of his career, right? And, and so. So, I mean, so you could get, you know, yeah, home run and back-to-back games. That's great, and and that's good, and that's what the Phillies got, you know, that's why they traded for him, and they hope that he can continue to do that. Um, but just if, you know, don't, don't be surprised if you see another 3-for-25 stretch or, you know, or even, even a little bit longer, you know, maybe something like 7-for-40 or 7-for-50, whatever. And, and then you say, okay, well, Jesus, is this guy really worth it? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, he was certainly worth it. You didn't really give up much for him, and yeah, he's a rental. So, so yeah. I mean, he's going to improve the lineup. I, I, and at I know the very made- least, at the very least, I look at this though, and I, I see a plan. I see some way that this can materialize to a, a competent offense that can do enough to win the National League East, right? Like so. I, and it's funny because on Thursday night they had gone through a stretch through that Boston series and they didn't hit in the first game of the Marlins series and you go oh my god if you look at like the last 30 innings I think they've scored uh, two or three runs again and like they just go through these prolonged stretches but you you have to understand that at this point if you overreact after one game now and when when I say you I'm really kind of talking to myself but because it's tough you watch this and you say god all the strikeouts so many missed opportunities, the inability to move runners, and it's frustrating to watch in little stretches, but then you do see this occasional boom from them. And I, I just think if the pitching continues to give what they have given through the first four or five months of the season, this offense may be good enough because I've spent much of the season saying the complete opposite. I've said they're nowhere near good enough. You cannot win long term with an offense like this. Now I'm starting to at least 
possibly, and, and it's easy to say after you've won five straight games, but I'm starting to at least see some way that this can be done with the composition of this lineup. Well, I th- I've thought all along that it could be done with this lineup, and it just hasn't. I mean, if you remember back at the beginning of the season, it wasn't just you and I um, uh, talking about it on, on this podcast, but I mean, if, if there were you know, national experts who had the Phillies with one of the top five, six lineups in baseball. Um, so there was a lot of belief in this lineup. The, the, nobody saw the pitching coming, at, you know, come out of the blue. Yeah, because you thought you were going to have Scott Kingery hit 290 and right. steal right. 35 bases right. and pop 20 homers. And you thought you had Aaron Altair, who was going to be a 260, 270 hitter and, and potentially hit 25 home runs from the right side. Yeah. And in addition to whatever you were going to get out of Nick Williams. So I, that, that has a lot to do with it. I mean, that's been a big reason that they have not met the, those expectations. But it, it does look a little bit better. It, it does look a little bit better, and I will say that. One little note about uh, the Phillies offense that I know that you'll appreciate. Uh, Larry Anderson and Scott Fransky on the radio broadcast today brought this up. The Phillies struck out in today's game for the 1,000th time this season. It is the fastest that they have reached that uh, I guess you want to call that milestone uh, in the history of the franchise. So they were quicker to 1,000 team strikeouts than any Phillies team in history. And I don't know if that really speaks to this team specifically or really just the state of baseball as it is. We've lamented the the astronomical strikeout rates and increase in strikeouts uh, in baseball over the last couple seasons, particularly in 2018. But uh, that doesn't surprise me, I guess. You know, that's, that's one thing I will say on that. No, oh, yeah, I, you're you're right. <laughs> I can't. I can't, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, I, I can't disagree with you there. Yeah. No, I really. I mean, it, it, look. I mean, it, it, it's the way the game is, and you know, I might not like it, or you may not like it, or Joe down the street may not like it, but it's the way the game is, and you know, we have to accept it, even if we complain about it. And um, you know, I got into a little bit of a Twitter battle. I don't know if you saw, but I got into a little bit of a Twitter battle with some people talking about. You know where the game of baseball is at this point, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to change overnight again. I mean, it's so we have to we have to accept it the way it is. And yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> the Phillies are there's a lot of teams that are doing. When we get to one last thing, there's another thing I want to talk about that has to do with a team that's doing something that makes zero sense and it's being and it's successful. So I mean, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of things where you're scratching your head and not sure why it's why it's working and why it's happening. And, and you know what? Here in Philadelphia, you might as well just say, let it ride, man. Just let it ride and let's see, let's see where it ends up. Because, you know, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't add up. You don't think it's going to work, and yet it's working. So, I don't know. I, I, I don't know where to go with it anymore. Well, I just, let me I'm, tell you something. <laughs> while, while that may not be great for baseball, and I was going to wait to talk about this later in the show, but I think that this kind of transitions nicely. Let's talk about one thing that's going to be really good for baseball, and that is the playoff races. And, and we don't really need to focus on the NL East or the, or the Phillies specifically on this, but look at the National League right now. I mean, the Braves are one and a half games back, so the Phillies have the biggest lead of any team in the National League right now because the Cubs hold a one-game lead on the Brewers, and the Dodgers and Diamondbacks are tied atop the NL West right now, and the Rockies are still in it, and the Giants are, yeah. yeah, and the Giants are lingering around in the West, and you, you have the Cardinals who have underachieved this season, but they're they're hanging around a little bit in the Central. They're four games over 500, and then you obviously have a, a three-team race in the East. 
this has a chance to be one of the most competitive and deepest playoff races in recent memory. Uh, I mean, in the National League alone, there are, I would, I would say you could make an argument for nine to ten teams are still alive right now in the playoff race that, that have a legitimate chance, not just an outside chance, but they have to feel like, we can do this still. And over in the AL, it's a little bit different. I mean, the Red Sox are running away from the Yankees. Uh, they took an eight-and-a-half game lead into tonight's uh, series finale in which Boston's just obliterated New York uh, over that four-game set. Uh, the Indians have, have gained complete separation from Minnesota in the Central. And then the Astros and A's are kind of in a little two-team race. Mariners are obviously pretty strong, too, but they're six-and-a-half games behind Houston as we speak right now. I, I just think that the way that these, these races could shape up come September have a chance to make it one of the most compelling finishes to a season in recent memory. And I know that it's kind of been easy to crap on baseball this season, and, and that's kind of been the trendy thing to do. But uh, I, I foresee this in, in three, four weeks from now, just shaping up to be a very compelling finish to this season and you know uh, why? in several divisions. You know why, Bob? Because all 32 teams, they're all 30 teams are alike. Yeah, nobody's that good except for the handful of teams that have. No, but it's not even that they're not that. It's not even, it's not even about good or bad. They're all doing the same thing. Same thing. Yeah. They're all they're all approaching the game. The exa- there's no difference. Like they're all doing it the same way. And this was one of the arguments I got into on Twitter. Was like you know I was arguing that there's there is less strategy now. And people say, oh, there's so much more strategy because oh you you, you know, managers have to think about where they're putting. T-. No, managers don't have to think about anything. It's all mapped out for them pregame. All the managing is done in advance. Right, nothing, nothing. There's, there's very little in-game management in baseball. There are some. I mean, yeah, I'm not there's like a say flow there's, chart basically yeah, at this point. But, know? but yeah, that's what it is. It's, it's all dictated, and so it, it's gotten to a point now where every team is doing the same thing. So yeah, that's why you have 10, 12 teams that are kind of in this thing, and they're going to be in this thing, and they're going to, you know, whatever, and 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 it's going to be compelling because it's going to be close. But it's it's going to be the same. Like it's the same thing happening every night. I agree with your point. I, I I definitely agree with that. I do think that you're seeing four or five, six teams that have just said we're not trying to win. You have four or five teams that I think you could classify as elite, and then you have everybody else. And it's just which team gets hot, who strings it together, who gets into a good rhythm. I, and I think that that's really the difference between a team like the Phillies and the Nationals, or or I guess even to a. a just to give a different example, but the Brewers and Cardinals. I mean, are the Brewers at post-trade deadline? I know they went out and they made significant moves here, but coming into the season, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that people identify Milwaukee as a, a quality team, but certainly I don't know that people would have said they were going to be five and a half games better than the Cardinals on August sixth. So it just—I think teams hit a, hit stretches, and they—they just—it's a matter of who gets hot, and I think that that's what you're going to see play out at the end of the season, much the way that you see in the NFL. I mean, the difference between an 8-8 eight and, eight and a 10-6 team in the NFL is, is almost – sometimes you can't even identify the difference in teams, you know, when you look at it statistically. And I think that that's what you're going to see here in baseball. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for baseball, and if people aren't into it, I think that that's going to be a, a big concern for the league because there are going to be at least 10 National League cities that say we could have October baseball this year and, and probably another five, six, seven in the American League that would say the same thing. So more than half the teams right now have to feel like we can reach the postseason, and I think that that's what you want. So just something to keep an eye on there. Um, to to kind of kick it back to the Phillies, though, I was watching MLB Network tonight, and I thought about you. Um, it was after all the games were played. 
And Dan Plesak, uh, former Phillies reliever, uh, one of the analysts on MLB Network, they said, uh, Dan, give me your top three bullpens in the National League. Um, do you put you on the spot? Do you think you can guess them? What do you think the number one bullpen in the NL is, according to Dan Plesak right now? That's a good question. Um, Dodgers? No, actually. Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers. He identified really? as the top bullpen, yes. Uh, the number that's, two that's bullpen. Because he really likes Josh Hader. Yeah, uh, I guess. Jeez. Um, number two bullpen. Uh, well, does, does, with, all the, with all the moves that are made, Atlanta? No, he uh, goes with the Chicago Cubs as the oh. second best bullpen. Okay. All right. All right. Go ahead. Um, I'm and guess, the third I'm and the final f- team. Well, I think I got this one. Is who? <laughs> the, the Phillies. The Philadelphia Phillies. You are right. Yeah, uh, he has the Phillies as a top three bullpen in the National League. And he obviously cites uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez and his emergence. He cites Tommy Hunter, who has been oh, better of late. Dear Lord. He, uh, he talked a little bit about Pat Neshek, who, who has been excellent. I know he gave up a run the other night, but uh, he's, he's been really good. And he even talked about Victor Arano as a power arm from the, uh, for, for the right-hand side. So it's... It's are we the reason why I mention this is not because I necessarily care about what Dan Plesak has to say, but are we looking at this so critically? Are we just being so critical of this group that when you step back and you look at it from afar, you go actually is a pretty good bullpen. Well, they've been better. I mean, there's no doubt they've been better. I'm not going to sit here and just keep ripping them and say, oh, I know they've been better. I think we all agree they've been better. Are they good? No, they're okay. (laughs) <laughs> just okay, <laughs> and the thing of it is, is that I mean, now as good as Nishek is, he's he limits himself. He's he can't pitch on consecutive days. He doesn't want to throw more than what twelve, fifteen pitches every time he's out there. Um, I mean, so like he like he limits himself, and then the team's okay with it. And it kind of bothers me that they paid him the kind of money that they paid him, and then he has these parameters that are attached to him. Um, you know, he's the kind of guy that you, you want to see out there when you need him. And I'm not saying you have to burn him out, but at the same time, you know, Jesus, you can you can throw more than one inning every other day, okay? <laughs> um, uh, Tommy Hunter, I don't I, – I just don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, his, we got a 1.3 whip. It's mediocre. <laughs> it's, me, it's mediocre. There's nothing else – no other way to put it. The, other than it's mediocre. His strikeouts per nine are down. He got his second save of the season, though, today. Yeah, well, he had to, right? Because Dominguez gave up the tying run, right? So he had to, so he had to get his second save of the season. Um, his I, last, All right, so his last 15 games, he's 2.870 RA. Um, he's only allowed 13 hits in 15 and two-thirds inning, two walks. His whip's actually .96. So, you know, I will say he, he certainly has been better, and it, it would be hard for him not to be, uh, considering the start that he had uh, to this season. But he really has been better. And if you take a look at his last seven games, the whip is actually down to .71, which shocks me. Um, he, he's been much better than, than really I thought. I, okay. I understood that he was, he was better lately, but uh, I am a little bit surprised to see that his numbers have been that good. And, and that, that's why I ask you this question, because I go, Jesus, Tommy Hunter, he's, he's been terrible. But in reality, he's, he's actually been much better than I'm, I've given him credit for. And, and, and even Pat Neshek, I understand you talk about the parameters and the limitations of his game, but 
with the Phillies in, in 56 career appearances, he's allowed to run three times. So, I mean, you know, from oh, the outside good. perspective, you look at it and go, well, damn, he's pretty good. And, and, and I understand that you're not saying he isn't good. You're, you're just talking about his limitations in terms of usage. But when you step away from it, you, you do look at it and you say there are four or five guys that, that, are, that are pretty damn effective in that bullpen. And, and so I, we've kind of talked about this being a, a, a disadvantage or a weakness of this team as we go down the stretch here. And, and certain analysts are saying that, no, it's actually a strength. And, and so we'll see. We'll see. You know, I we'll see. I, I just the reason why I mentioned this is because I, I feel like that this team's not ready and that they're not going to do it. And I, I know where this is going. Uh, but but you look at it now and you say, well, the offense has some pop and the starting pitching has been so good. And now you, you could argue that the bullpen's been a strength and maybe we're just two miserable, jaded people. And uh, we've got this all wrong. Let me tell you how the bullpen's going to get better down the stretch. They're going to add somebody to the bullpen. Who's already on the team? How about this for this is how about this for a prediction? Nick Pavetta will be in your bullpen before by September. God, we're doing this. Are we really doing and, this? And Jared Eikhoff is going to take his spot in the rotation. Ugh. Are you an Eikhoff guy? No, it's not that I'm an Eikhoff guy. I'm just telling you what I think. I'm wondering why they keep saying. We're getting him, but we're going to get him back by September. We're going to get he's we're going to get him in big league games in September. And I'm thinking to myself, where how does Eikhoff play as a reliever? He doesn't. He doesn't. He's not a he's not a power you know power arm. He's not a guy you're going to turn to and, and get you know get him in the games in the in in September. So you're either doing one of two things. You're either going to go to a six man rotation, which is you know it, it, that could happen. I hate it. I think it's it's. I, I think if you're playing meaningful games in October, that that's a terrible idea. Right. Uh, you need you need to you need to rely on your best guys. Uh, you know, on their turn instead of saying, "Well, we're going to give you an extra day off." That's so one no. thing I will not be okay with. Like if they take the Nationals approach, where they they sat Strasburg a few years back. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You, if you get there and you're, you're in it, you've got to go. And you so I go. don't want to see right. that. Right. So. I, I don't think they're going to do that. I mean, I think it's. I mean, I guess that's one of the things you can do. But so if he's going to come in and play, and he's going to pitch, well, where's he going to pitch? He's going to pitch in the rotation. Well, who's coming out of the rotation? Right. I mean, you're not taking Nola, Arietta, Velasquez, or Eflin out. So what's the only what's the only option? It's going to be Nick Pavetta, and I think Pavetta, because of his his strikeout numbers, could suddenly become an intriguing choice. In late innings in the bullpen, not to say he's going to be a, he's a closer type, but I mean I could see him as another guy that you can lean on, maybe in the you know the days that Pat Neshek needs to rest, um, maybe they go to Nick Pavetta in that spot. So I you know I think that that's I honestly think that any that's reservation going about taking a guy that's a starting pitcher and and dumping him into the middle of a playoff chase with a completely different role like. That's no. not what he's done. Like, so I know that we've talked about uh, the, the guy that I want to talk about in a minute, Vince Velasquez. That's always been the thing. That's been the fix for him. You know, well, he, he's got a big arm, and so if you move him to the pen, he'll be lights out. Like, can Pavetta just do that? I mean, that's, that's my only concern there. I just yeah, don't, I don't know. Have a, I don't have a reservation about it because I think when you get to this point in the season, you do whatever you can to win. You, you try and find whatever, you know, avenue you can take to, to win, and so you give it a shot and see if he can do it. 
you're not saying you're, we're turning him into a relief pitcher full time. We're just saying, hey, let's let's get you know, you know, if you remember, David Price did this, and Adam Wainwright did this, and you know, if you want to go way back, I mean, Dennis Eckersley was a, a solid starter who became a Hall of Fame closer. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he was a good starter before they moved him to the bullpen, but they, they moved him to the pen because they were trying it like this. They said, let's see if we can get, get this guy to you know be our late inning guy. I think that it's it's worth an effort to see, um, especially because you know he's got that kind of stuff that might might play over the course of one inning or one and you know two thirds, as opposed to six or seven innings, right? So I th- I don't have a problem with giving it a shot. I really don't. I don't. Th- I think well, see, it's, I'm still holding okay. out hope that that he anchors that fifth spot in the rotation. You know, I know he's a little bit of a wild card. I know he's up and down, but. I like I'm not him. there yet. Because, and, and the reason why I'm not there yet, and I know that you like him, and we've talked a lot about how much we like him. Uh, I just, I, I'm not a huge Eikhoff guy by nature. Like, I don't see the ceiling with him. I know that he was very effective when he first came here, and then he struggled a little bit last season. I, I just don't, I don't want to see a guy come back from injury and, and be doing a trial run here. And like, well, let's see where he's really at. Like, they don't have time for that. And for the reason that I just talked about, when you look how tight the National League is, like, they don't have three or four starts to play around with from Jared Eikhoff. And, and so, I don't know. I, I'm just, I see where you're coming from on that. I, it, it is a possibility. Uh, I don't think that you're wrong in that way. I just, I, I don't really want to see that. What I would want to see, and I, I suppose you would as well, is, that he just figures it out and pitches like he did in the beginning of the season, you know, that being Pavetta. That's what I'd like to see, but I, we'll, I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Well, yeah, that's going to be a bridge I think we're going to approach. All right. Let's, <laughs> um, let's talk real quick here because we, we swore to ourselves we were going to keep this in the 45 to 50-minute range uh, tonight at coming off our, our marathon show last week. I do want to talk about Vince Velasquez a little bit. Um, he's 8-8 eight and eight now this season, 3-4-0 ERA. Opponents are hitting 219 against him, and he's also striking out over 10 batters per nine innings. If you go back to that blow-up start he had in early June against the Milwaukee Brewers, since then he's made eight starts and one relief appearance, 46 and a third innings pitched. He's held opponents to a 153 batting average. He's pitched to a 214 ERA, and his whip is 0.93. He has suddenly become one of the hardest pitchers to hit in all of baseball. If you go back to June 10th, he is the 10th hardest pitcher to hit in terms of batting average. Only Chris Sale, amongst any pitcher in baseball, starting pitcher in baseball, has held opponents to a lower batting average. Think about that. So if you take every relief pitcher, every starting pitcher, only nine of them have held opponents to a worse or you know a lesser batting average. And if you look at just the starters, both American League, National League, only Chris Sale has been harder to hit. Um, he's ninth in the National League in war, ninth in opponent batting average, and tenth in uh, whip. In, in the NL on the season, including his blow-up starts. I mean, think about this. Uh, I, the reason why I mention this is, A, I think he's been critical to this team remaining in first place over the last month, and B, I, I think I owe the guy an apology because if you go back and listen to our first two, three shows, I spent probably 10, 15 minutes in each of those shows just saying that, that he wasn't going to figure it out. I was tired of seeing it. It was time to move on from him. And uh, in hindsight, it may be my all-time worst baseball take. Um, I, I know it's only really been two months of this, this high-quality performance that he's given, but I, I think I was wrong. Uh, where, where do you weigh in on Vince Velasquez right now? Um, I think he's still 
uh, he's still a little too wild for my liking. I think he still throws too many pitches. He has been great the uh, last two months. He really has. His 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 walk rate is still a little too high for my liking, and whether what that's is it? Just, it was he uh, three three point four walks per nine. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. a little yeah, too, that's a little, a little too much. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, guys, there have been good pitchers who made careers with walk rates that high. So I mean, I'm not saying that, that that's going to be his downfall, but I think as games get more, the one thing I, I want to take you back to the Yankee game. There was a lot of, if you remember, there was a lot of emotion with him in that game. And it kind of got away from him a little bit, the game. Um, and I think he's an emotional pitcher. And I think that if he's going well and then he can keep that emotion in check, it's great. But I think we're going to see, again, I'm going to take the wait-and-see approach with him. I, 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 I'm not going to deny how well he's pitched. I think he's been great. And he was um, decent in that Yankees game. I mean, he went six innings. He allowed, what, two earned runs. Yeah, he had four he, walks, he, though, to, to your point. He did walk he, four guys he, in that game. He actually came around, but he struggled early. And then, Very early and then, on, yep. And, and then, and then you know, they figured it out, and then they, you know, they eventually had to pull him because he threw too many pitches. But um, I'm going to be curious to see how he p- pitches against some of the better teams here in the bigger games down the stretch. Let's see. I mean, let's see if we get the Vince Velasquez we've gotten for the last two months, or let's see if we get Vince Velasquez, who you know might have been a little bit more of a. Uh, I don't want to disparage him, but I mean, you know, just a little bit too let the, let let his emotions get get the better of him sometimes when he pitches. So uh, I'm just you know I think the jury is still out. I think there's reason for optimism, but I'm not ready to I'm not ready to sit here and say, oh yeah, this guy's been this guy's fantastic. You know, that you're you're putting up numbers comparing him to Chris Sale. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm oh, not, listen, I'm not saying he's Chris Sale. I'm just I, saying that that's no, no, how good you. he's been lately oh, to make yeah, the point. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah but I, I hear you. I, that, one thing I will saying. say about him, and, and I can understand how you may use this against him, but let's look at the Yankees game and then also the, the start that he made last weekend uh, against the Reds. So he walked four against the Yankees, uh, and he, like we said, he struggled early on in that game. I was impressed that he didn't completely unravel because in the past – that's exactly what has happened. He gets off to a rocky start. He can't recover. His, his head's all over the place, and it's one of those starts where you go, okay, he lasted three innings, and he gave up eight runs. But he, he kind of weathered the storm. He came back, gave the Phillies a chance to win that baseball game. If you look at the start against the Reds, he only lasts five innings, and that, that can be a criticism right there. And he walked five in that start against Cincinnati. But he got himself into deep trouble in several spots in that baseball game, and he was able to work out of it and, again, give the Phillies a chance to win. Uh, I believe in his fifth and final inning of that game, uh, I believe he left the bases loaded. It was a critical spot, and I don't want to misspeak, but I believe that he had the bases loaded with one out in that game, and he pitched out of the jam, and that was all he had. But again, I, I say, well, you know what? For a guy that I've seen blow up in that spot so many times before, I'm encouraged by that. And then he comes back against the Marlins the other night, and he was dominant, six and a third, only two hits, one walk allowed. So I just see these flashes where I say, look at him. He's strung together now six, seven, eight quality starts in a row or, or really good performances, if not technically a quality start. And I'm, I'm just overall encouraged by the progression that he's making. He's still relatively young. He's only 26 years old. And you just look at it and I say, okay. Like, I feel pretty good when he's on the mound all of a sudden. And, and that's something I certainly wouldn't have said back in May. No, you should certainly be encouraged, Bob. But let's uh, see how he pitches against the Diamondbacks. Okay, that's fine. Let's see, let's, right. let's, we'll my talk boy, about Vince Velasquez. That's we'll, my guy. We'll, re- we'll revisit this next week. That is my guy. I knew it all along. I always had 
total faith in him. <laughs> and I don't necessarily think it was your worst take ever. Uh, I th- yeah, oh, I actually, well, then what was? What are you trying well, to say? Well, I don't know. No, I, I'm, I'm sure saying. you may have some others that, yeah, it, that may no, have not yeah. been as good. But We're going to try to ignore I, those. Yeah. No, uh, I, think, I think there's still a chance that uh, your take might not be so wrong, but that's right, okay. We'll see. All right. We're closing in now on, uh, I got my eye on that clock, man. We're closing in on 43 minutes here. Um, yeah. You wanted to talk real quick about, um, or real quickly about uh, what went down on uh, 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 oh. the at the ceremony uh, this I'm, weekend. I'm, I'm already tearing up again, Bob. I mean, it was the Phillies did it uh, almost 100% correct. I mean, it was it was so good. The way that they, first of all, the entire weekend is a is a cool thing when they bring their alumni back. They do it and they have a lot of fun with it. I mean, one of the things that I, I went down last night for the Wall of Fame induction and took my two sons. We got down there early. We went over to the new um, wiffle ball area, um, and they had like a wiffle ball home run derby with with you know, former Phillies, and it was you know, they it was were like just Greg having a bl- Dobbs and Brett Myers. Oh, and, yeah, yeah cool. they were having yeah, a blast. That, yeah. They were having a blast. But I mean, Myers was hysterical. Uh, it was Dobbs and Chooch were a team, and you know they advanced to play Myers and Jeff Jenkins. Uh, in the final, I don't know who won today. That was the, that was the championship today, but it was just kind of a cool thing. And then you get into the then you get into your seats, and then they bring out the stage and everything else. And the Halliday tribute was as good a tribute as I've ever seen at a professional sporting event. I mean, as they nailed it, they nailed it. They had every person in that stadium. In tears, red-eyed. I mean, I've, I'm not lying to you when I look at everyone who was in my section. I was sitting in section 324. Everybody in that section had the, the either tears rolling down their eyes or were wiping their eyes or their eyes were red. When his wife got up to speak and she was just – the stuff she was saying. But it wasn't just her. I mean, Charlie told a story about Roy Halladay hitting him in the head during batting practice, um, It was which was hysterical. It was a great story. Rich Doobie talked about uh, just how, how great of a guy Halladay was. And, and just it just was awesome. And then they did two – not one, but two tribute videos that were sensational – they had Chooch unveil the, the the plaque that's on the wall out in center field, um, and when Chooch unveils it, he's crying. He like kisses his fingers and then rubs it on Roy's face, and oh my god, the whole place was just melted right there. It was unbelievable. It was it was like I don't know what happened. I don't know how they did it, but they made thirty five thousand people cry at once. Yeah, they've, over, they've always been great player. with that stuff, and um, awesome. You know, it, it, awesome. I'm, I'm glad you were able to uh, take that in. I uh, I was actually out of town. I, I was, unfortunately I was not able to see it. Uh, I saw some things on Twitter, and, and it was very well received by by everybody. So yeah. um, the only negative the only negative was that they went with Halliday first. And then poor Pat Gillick. Had yeah, how would you like that? to be Pat Gillick? And you go, uh, yeah, so uh, I was the GM, and uh, it, it went well. I mean, it was no. a polite applause for There's Pat. There's not a lot left in the tank after that, We right? had nothing. Yeah, we were yeah. done. We were done. We had no energy left after yeah. after the holiday thing. Yeah. But, yeah, the Phillies, did, they did a, an awesome job. Just, nice, good stuff. Just great stuff by the Phillies. It was nice that the uh, team was able to back them up with a uh, good weekend as well, too. Well, you know? was, how many times do you see that, like where, where the team comes out flat and you go, ugh. You know, and so yeah. it was, it was just good. a very good weekend for that organization on uh, several yeah. levels. Yeah, uh, and that will bring us to one last thing, and I, one I don't know thing. what we're talking about here. So let's ah see this. I guess, well, we, you actually mentioned this team earlier, but I wanted to kind of get into it. Milwaukee Brewers. Um, we, you mentioned that you know they're kind of hanging around, and um, you know they got a, a, a according to damn police act, they have one of the best bullpens in the National League. 
Um, and uh, they made some moves at the trade deadline. They added um, uh, Mike Moustakis and, and Jonathan Scope um, from, uh, from Baltimore. Um, and it's an interesting thing um, because the Brewers, uh, going into um, the trade deadline, were the, considered statistically the best defensive team in baseball. Uh, they had more defensive runs saved um, by, than any other team, and by by a lot. And um, uh, I think it was they had ten more than any other team, per, and that's per Baseball Info Solutions. Um, so they were one of the best defensive teams, and they needed to upgrade their offense. Okay, you go out and get you, you go out and get Mustakas. That's that's fine. But they had Travis Shaw, who was their third baseman, and Travis Shaw. Um, you know, was pretty, you know, one of the better third basemen in baseball. And I guess you could play a little bit of first base, but they got Jesus Aguiar over there. So where do they put Travis Shaw? Second base. You know where he's played? How many times he had played second base previously in his career? I don't know. Zero. Okay. <laughs> so, zero. There's, so there's more. So, the, so now you got Shaw playing out of position. He never, never, not in the minors, not in the majors, had ever played second base. But now he's playing second base. This is the best defensive team in baseball. Then they trade for Scope, who's a second baseman, right? And so now, now what do you do with Shaw? Now Shaw plays a little third, a little first, a little second. They're even saying that he might play some shortstop. He's never played shortstop either. And now you got um, uh, Aguiar plays some first. He plays some third. Eric Timms, uh, well, I guess he calls it Thames. Uh, it's Timms for the British people. Uh, but Eric Thames uh, plays some first, plays some, plays some in the outfield. You got Ryan Braun who plays outfield some first base. Yeah, and like so today Shaw played first and Mustakis played third. Mustakis actually homered today. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. So so here's the thing: what they're doing, they've based, they've the Brewers, who are the best defensive team in baseball, have basically said, eh, it doesn't matter what positions you play. So is that is that a thing that's going to start happening in baseball now? That it's almost as, and I think that the Phillies have done this a little bit. You know, not not to that to the nth degree that Milwaukee has, but you know, they basically turned Scott Kingery into a full time shortstop, and he never played the position before. Um, they, you know, they made him a super utility guy to play in the outfield as well. They made Reese Hoskins be a left fielder when he's a first baseman. You know, they're starting to, you know, J.P. Crawford, who was a shortstop his whole career, then was playing some third base. So you know, the Phillies were doing it too. Is this a thing that that teams are now? kind of shifting to where it's like it's not necessarily positional versatility because it's not like these guys have played these positions but basically saying yeah we could just stick you anywhere it, let's just put the lineup together and we'll figure it out like is this the, is this is there going to be a i don't want to turn this into a team? conversation about shifts but i do wonder if shifts have lessened the importance of individual positions if you say we're going to move these guys around so much that third base looks like shortstop or we feel confident that he can field a ball if he's positioned in the middle of the field like does the shift for certain teams kind of lessen the importance of assigning a specific position and so like I think that that's one element of it, one element of it for certain teams I also look at the Brewers and not that they should panic I mean they're 15 games above 500 but they had a really good month of May. Like, if you look at their, their breakdown by month, they, they were 3-0 and in March, 14-13 and in April, and then in May they were 19-8. and And since then, they were 12-13 and in June, 15-13 and in July, and then 2-2 two and two this month entering today, and they lost. So they're under 500 this month. So the reason why I mention this is I just wonder if, like, the Brewers say, well, we're fighting for a division crown. We could potentially win this, win this thing. 
what's our weakness? Our we our weaknesses right now, offense. Like offensively, we have struggled uh, lately. So wh- what do you do? You sacrifice maybe some of your your defensive strengths to add some extra pop in the lineup like so is it specifically what the brewers are addressing as a weakness right now or is it more of a um does it speak to the the i guess the trend across baseball i think that there's multiple layers to what you're seeing there um you know i I don't know i think it really just depends on the team and what they value you you might have a great point about the shifting thing because I thought it was hysterical at the Phillies game on Saturday um, when they were shifting for the Marlins were shifting for um, I think it was I think it was Carlos Santana when he was batting left-handed. Um, so Miguel Rojas was playing third base and J.T. Riddle was playing shortstop, and with one strike they had uh, three infielders on you know on the right side of the infield and they had you know first base second base shortstop and they left Rojas kind of by himself on the right side but then after it went to two strikes on Santana they switched and so now Rojas went to the other side and they brought Riddle back to the and like I'm trying to think to myself like what difference like now Miguel Rojas is a shortstop and you know Traditionally, he was playing third base in that game. So it's like, why is it okay for that guy to be there with two, one, with no strikes and one strike, but then with two strikes, you're switching them. So I, you might be spot on with the with the shifting, saying basically it doesn't matter what position you play. It doesn't make a difference. I think and what we, the Brewers did here is they just said, let's we want the offense. We'll try to figure it out from there. We're gonna have to play with it. We're gonna see what happens, but it'll work itself out. And I think that that's what that specific moves about. But yeah, I I, I do think imagine if you're playing infield, right? Like you're a third baseman. Well, where did you used to take ground balls? third base you know you you might take some guard in the line you might take a couple in the hole now i would imagine you're taking them at shortstop you're taking them up the middle behind the second base bag you're taking them on the right side of the infield i mean you're all over the place now so i feel like there's a little bit more flexibility in just how these guys are being utilized yeah they must they must like his athleticism enough to say all right he can he'll figure it out he'll be okay yeah and i think that that's it's a great question to, to ask and to wonder is that are we getting to the point where it, it really doesn't matter what position you play? We're just going to put you out there. Yeah, I think there's and certain I, I, guys, obviously, that are yeah. going to be in certain positions. But, you know, if you look at each team's defense, there may be two or three players that really have to play in certain spots. But other than that, I mean, I think a lot of these guys are going to come up, and it'll be interesting to see what organizations do from a developmental aspect. You know, are you being developed as a primary third baseman, primary second baseman, or are you really going to start seeing more of a prioritization of of that type of flexibility? Like, we need you to be able to come up and play three or four positions. Like, what you saw with Scott Kingery and the Phillies earlier this year, will that be more of the norm moving forward? Um, Because that – would obviously create a ton of value and flexibility for teams. So it's, it's something to think about. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. Well, that was my one last thing, Bob, and uh, I think that pretty much wraps us up yeah. tonight. We went over a Yeah, few we minutes. missed the mark, but we're all right We missed here. the mark, yeah. yeah but we stayed under an hour. I think that's the, that's the most important thing. Um, so uh, be sure to check out the, the other podcasts on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. Uh, you got Crossing Broadcast with Russ and Kyle. You got uh, Snow the Goalie with me. And Russ, and then you got uh, Russ on his third show, uh, which is um, Crossing Broad FC with Phil Kaidel, and then it's always soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid and Dave Zeitlin. Uh, check out all those shows. Listen, rev- you, you know, if you like what we're what, you sh- what you're hearing here, uh, give us a review, give us uh, give us a rating, 
you know, let us know what you think, um, and it also helps uh, get get other people to know that we're out there uh, and we're doing some good stuff. So, uh, you know, help us out, and uh, and we'll keep providing you with this, uh, you know, entertaining content uh, on uh, the crossed at least here on Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. <laughs> um, so uh, that's it for us for this week. Uh, for Bob Wankel, I'm Anthony Sanfilippo saying, hey, we'll check you out next week when Bob is back from his main vacation. Have a good one, guys.